the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We've been going through 1 Corinthians, and we've made it all the way to chapter 5. And Paul has been dealing with the Corinthian church from a distance. He's writing all this by letter. But recognize, as I said last week, that this is not Paul speaking. This is actually the Word of God. This is God talking to his children through the written letter. And the issue with the Corinthians is that carnality had begun to creep in. Now, that's not some mystical, demonic haze that comes over people. All that is, is that there's only two ways to live life. One is according to the flesh, and the other is according to the Spirit. That's really the only two ways to live life. And if you become a Christian, you have the option to live according to the Spirit, but now you can only live after the flesh You can't live in the flesh, but you can live after it. In other words, you can mimic it. You can believe it is who you are. You can own it. You can nurture it. You can do everything a lost man does with his flesh. He makes the flesh the center, the central focus of his being. If everything's good for the flesh, everything's good for him. Because when he looks in the mirror, he sees who he is. But if you live according to the Spirit, you recognize that the flesh is simply the suit you're wearing. And the truth of you has changed. You literally live in the presence of God. And when you fail, you do not fail unto condemnation and eternal damnation. You fail into the realization that sin doesn't suit you and that you can get up and move forward. Because he took all of your failures to the cross. Every single one. He took away, through, through his work, he took away every reason for you to be feeling separated from him, for you to be feeling uh, estranged from him. He took it all away, and he put you in union with himself. So if I'm going to live according to the flesh, I'm going to live as though God were out here, and this is me. What you see here is who I am. But if I'm going to live according to the Spirit... 
I am going to live in the reality that I literally dwell in his presence. That his spirit and my spirit are one. That I live in communion with him. That I can ignore his presence, but it doesn't change his presence. That he is all that I need. He is my provision. He is my strength. He is my stability. And you know what? He is my truth, regardless of what the soul, mind, will, and emotions may say to me. Regardless of what my circumstances may say to me. You see, when I live according to the Spirit, I live according to eternal truth. Now, the Corinthians had entered into a dangerous place. They have decided to know God according to the flesh. And you know what? Most religions are that way. I know God according to what He can do with my flesh. I know God according to what I can do for Him. With my flesh. I don't know him according to who he is. And when I worship him, Jesus points this out. That his people will worship him in spirit and in truth. But for those who who want to know God according to the flesh, worship is something different. It's something external. They got to have all of the right externals to make worship happen. But for the child of God, worship is spiritual. And it's constant. And it never changes. The reality of that is that when the Corinthians begin to switch and live according to the flesh, when they begin to to know their flesh better than they knew their God, sin began to become normalized in their community. Now, that's not a hard transition to make. We see it in the modern church. It begins to creep in as man begins to rationalize. So... One of the things we need to recognize about the Corinthian church is that uh, it was founded in one of the most wicked and immoral cities in the known world. There were two that were at the top of the list. One of them was Athens and the other one was Corinth. And this church was literally made up of people who had, been, who had come out of that society, that society that, that lived as though immorality and wickedness was normal. It was part, it was integrated in their society. It was part of every, every function. It was even part of their worship. Now we see how the Corinthian church might have slidden into this issue. But you see, this wasn't who they were now. This is where the church so often failed. That the people of God do not know the fullness of what Christ has done. The people of God don't know who they are. And the Corinthian church had forgotten who they were. They were righteous. They are righteous. They are pure. They are consecrated unto the Lord. But here's the issue. It's now a matter of faith to live in the truth of the new birth. Because we have a fallen body. We have a world. We have the society we live in. And we have the appetites of the flesh continually working against us. The enemies pitted against us. It is now a matter of faith to walk in the truth and to believe the truth about who you are. And I'm not talking about a casual understanding. I'm talking about a determined faith that says, this is who I am, and I am going to live to who I am. You see, God empowers that. That's not man's will that makes that happen. These people had forgotten. All of that wickedness was what they were, but it's not who they are. You see, there, has, there must be a determination to conduct yourself according to truth, to see yourself according to truth, to live your life in the context of your new birth. I see that in my own life. Don't you? 
There has to be a determination to get up in the morning and say, this is who I am. There has to be a determination because you don't open your eyes before your brain is flooded with all the things that would attach your flesh to it or you would attach to your flesh. And to literally, as, as those two songs indicate, to stop that, in, that process in your mind and say, No, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise unto Him who is my God, my salvation and my life. Glory unto Him who has placed Himself in union with me, who is my strength and my provision for this day. Glory unto Him who is the purity of my life, the holiness of my life, the consecration of my life. I am eternal. I am made of truth. For I have been composed of the Spirit of God and my spirit. They have become one. Now how much faith does that take as you feel the aches and pains? As you listen to all the accusations of your failures. As you reckon upon all of the troubles you will face that day. As you enter into the rejection of this world. How much faith does that take? A good bit, but a willingness. Faith is but a willingness to believe. Faith is not the creation of belief. Faith is a willingness to believe. This is what was going on in the Corinthian fellowship. They had lost their willingness to believe. They'd lost that determination. Our text for today, as I said, is chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And in this uh, text, Paul is addressing sin, a sin that has been tolerated within the fellowship itself. And notice that Paul is progressively dealing with the fruit of carnality in this church. You're going to see it all through the book of First and Second Corinthians. Paul is going to deal, and, and, and some of it is so very subtle. Some of it looks very religious, very good on the outside. But it again is knowing God according to the flesh. There is a difference that we need to set in our minds from the very beginning in order to understand what Paul is trying to affect in the church. You see, Paul is not just about, okay, cut that out. Paul is about drawing them into the truth of who they are, that they may not live in that any longer. Here is the issue. These different... Paul is about to address a sin, okay? And here's the, here's the problem with addressing sin. When we address sin, so often sin becomes the focus rather than the Savior who has literally saved us out of it. And here's the other problem with addressing sin. Sin is attached to the flesh. And if I sit there and I accuse you of sin, you immediately see yourself as a sinner and you own it as who you are. And that's wrong too. Because I want to tell you something. Sin is no longer who you are if you're a child of God. It is no longer who you are. Your behavior does not define you. If, you, if it did, you would be changing constantly, wouldn't you? And many of us have ridden that roller coaster where we felt like a saint one day and the lowest of the low sinner to the next. Do you think that was God's plan for your spirituality? Didn't Jesus pay it all? Didn't he say it was finished? He did. It was finished. What God wants us to live to is the truth of who we are. And this is what Paul is, is focusing on with the Corinthians. And he says, there's a sin in your church. There's a sin in your fellowship. But here's what we want to focus on. This is what Paul is pointing out. You see, carnality has opened the door for these issues. 
Carnality has opened the door for the issues. Turn and live to the truth and invite the issues out. Paul, again, has had to deal. We just got through dealing with verses... uh, our chapters 1 through 4, we just got through dealing with an issue of fractions and separations where these people had divided themselves out because, to follow flesh. 1 Corinthians 3 and uh, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, this is an evidence of your, of your flesh. This is an evidence of your carnality. And he says to them, he says, for you are still unspiritual. Now he's speaking to believers. You are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh under the control of, the, of ordinary impulses. For as long as there are envying, jealousy, and wrangling, and factions among you, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh, behaving yourselves after a human standard, like a mere unchanged man? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another says, I belong to Apollos, are you not proving yourselves ordinary and unchanged men? He is saying, this is, this is the evidence of you living as flesh, as unspiritual men. So what are, how are they living? According or after the flesh. They're behaving as flesh. And here's the evidence that you're doing this. This sin, this separation. So what we're seeing here is the fruit of walking after the flesh. And Paul's pointing it out to him. He's not telling them that they are unsaved. He is telling them that when you live this way, this is the fruit of it. So how else are we to live? The other thing he's saying by by converse is that if you live according to the Spirit, there will be no separation. Again, there are only two ways to live, spiritual and unspiritual. Spiritual is according to the Spirit, and unspiritual is to live according to the flesh, like the lost, without regard to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 says, So then, those who are living the life of the flesh, catering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature, cannot please or satisfy God. Or be acceptable to him. But you are not living the life of the flesh. That's not who you are. You are living the life of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God dwells, really dwells within you, directs and controls you. But if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He does not belong to Christ, is not truly a child of God. But look at this. You are living the life of the Spirit. That's your life. You are living the life of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit really dwells within you, every child of God can say and know that the Holy Spirit really dwells within them. So he is saying, this is how you should live. This is the truth of how you should behave. This is the context of who you are. Now, we've gone over this before, but there is a vigilance that the child of God must live in, or they will be conformed to the world. They will live as unspiritual people, not from the flesh, but after the flesh. Now, as I studied this text, I read commentaries and messages on it, and I saw the majority of theologians are addressing the need for church discipline and the wickedness of the sin, particularly the sin of immorality. And I read page after page that that talks about this. And it is correct and true concerning these passages, that he does deal with church discipline. It is also correct and true that he deals with sin. But sin is not to be our focus. And unfortunately, we live in a society 
that writes more laws to protect wickedness than it does to do away with wickedness. And this has affected the church. It's had an effect on how we see sin. We now rationalize sin before the, the, the law of man rather than before the law of God. Why is that? Because we are living after the flesh. Because we are man-centered. This has become a problem within the modern church. And the other thing about the modern church is it rarely disciplines its flock. And why is that? Because the flock's floating from this church to that church. This church opens up, we're going to float over here. That church opens up, we're going to float over here. There's no belonging. There's no sense of who, who they are in the body. It's simply me, the individual, floating from would-be inspiring message to inspiring music to the best child's program, the best parking, to, you know, the coffee machine in the lobby. Whatever we're floating around to. We're making our decision. We're picking like a buffet. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. We're not listening to God. We're listening to flesh. This, again, is, is worshiping and knowing God according to the flesh. It is a man-centered perspective. And what happens when the church does not discipline or guard its flock? Well, most of you in here are parents. What happens when discipline goes out of the home? How does it affect the home? Well, we already know about that. Talk about separation and infighting. The truth is that the discipline and the guarding of the church is a, separ- is a shepherd's job. It's a shepherd's work. And it is the responsibility of church leaders to guard the flock as the shepherd dictates. The issue of sin in the church is one that must be addressed prayerfully with love and with a heart towards restoration. Again, the temptation is for us to be focused on the sin rather than the Savior's heart for the one who has fallen. That is not what is intended. Therein is the difficulty of preaching on sin. And here's the thing. After I read page after page on immorality, the sin, and so forth, and the devastation of it all, I am thoroughly convinced that immorality does not suit the believer But I can tell you it wasn't reading it on that page that made that a conviction in my life. It was reading it in the lives of the people around me and in my own life. It was seeing how it affected others and how it has touched even my life and the life of others. That's what convinced me. It doesn't suit me because I am made for something totally different. I'm not made for the flesh. And you know immorality is just about the body, isn't it? That's the big tragedy of, of being obsessed with things like pornography. It f- turns you and focuses you in on the body rather than upon the truth. You become a body. Everybody becomes a body to you. The temptation is always to focus on the sin. Here's the truth. I have resolved as a pastor that I am not going to make sin the focus of a message that I preach. I've chosen to make Christ the focus of every message that I preach. We don't want to examine the fruit. We want to look at its source so that we can avoid ever bearing the fruit. And that is what we're doing in Corinthians. We're looking to see where they drifted off into carnality, how carnality affected their relationship, and why were they affected in this way. And why is this instructive to us? Because I want to tell you something. We are not immune Every day you choose. 
And I've said this many times about parenting. The important thing about parenting is not necessarily making all the choices for your child, but teaching them what the choices are. We have to choose. And the discipline to choose truth is a practiced one. Let's look at our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported, Paul writing, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, impurity of a sort that is condemned and does not occur among the heathen. For a man has his own father's wife, and you are proud and arrogant, and you ought rather to mourn, bow in sorrow and in shame until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship in your midst. As for my attitude, though, I am absent from you in the body. I am present in spirit. And I have already decided and passed judgment as if actually present in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the man who has committed such a deed. When you and my own spirit are met together with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline, to destroy carnal lust which prompted him to incest, that his spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now in verse 1, Paul tells them that it has become common knowledge that there is in morality among them. And that means that they're indulging it. They are indulging the sin in that church, as a church, as believers. And look how he contrasts him to the heathen, to the pagans. And he's, he's not informing them of anything. He's making an incredulous statement. He is saying, this is what you're indulging. Everybody knows it. This is known throughout your your city, it is known about your fellowship that you're indulging sin that is condemned among the pagans. Even the pagans condemn it. Now that's really saying something considering where they live. That the pagans, the society that they live in, would not tolerate such things. A man in their fellowship was openly practicing an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And this man stole his father's wife. Now, historians tell us that incest was forbidden in, Ro- in the Roman Empire. This was not being done or tolerated in ignorance. This is something that, the, that they had embraced in full-on rebellion. This is not them being deceived. This was not them saying, oh, I thought that was okay. They knew it wasn't okay. It was addressed in their law, it was addressed in the wicked society, and it's addressed in Scripture. Deuteronomy 22.30 says, A man shall not take his father's former wife, nor shall he uncover her who belongs to him. It's also in Leviticus 18.8, Deuteronomy 22.30, and Deuteronomy 27.20. It's not something that they were ignorant about, not to mention the counsel of the Spirit within. Here's the reality for the child of God. You have an inner shepherd that counsels, that moves you towards truth. If you never picked up a Bible, you would have an inner shepherd that guided you. We know, we know when we're living in rebellion. We know when we're choosing to be disobedient, to be wrong. This man was determined in his sin. Actually, the verb in this sentence indicates that this was an ongoing affair. So what was the attitude of his fellow believers in the church concerning this? Verse 2 says, And you are proud and arrogant, and you ought rather to mourn, 
bow in sorrow and in shame until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship and your midst. Wow, they were proud of their indulgence. I'm sure they would call it grace. They would quote verses like Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, that we often quote. It says, Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourselves. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. And in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt out again to you. This is a verse often quoted by those who refuse to deal with sin because they're condemned by their own. But this verse is not speaking of making judgments in regards to sin. It's, make, it's speaking about making judgments in regards to the motives behind the action. Judging people's motives. Oh, she just wore that dress because. Oh, he put that $100 bill on the plate because. Oh, they did this and that because. That's what he's talking about. Stop it. That's what he says. When you do this, you make those presumptions about people, you are literally making a judgment about yourself. Jesus says, stop this. This The church is responsible to guard its flock against the adoption of wickedness. Now, that's just the bottom line. This is not about perfect behavior in the church. If that were true, none of us could be members, could we? But this is about dealing with determined, unrepentant sin within the body. The church is the bride of Christ. We are not the source of our purity, but we are to walk in the purity of Christ. We are a holy assembly before the Lord. So we are charged to be obedient in setting and guarding the contrast between who we are and the world. And understand again that this is God writing the Corinthian church. God jealously guards his assembly. He is going to call it wrong whether the people of that assembly decide to do so or not. Because he is truth. Because he is truth. And because he is love. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.